Well, okay, let me ask you this. Is anybody here uh, planning to do any kind of New Year resolution? Anybody? Okay, we got a couple. Got a few. Now, when I say New Year's resolution, it doesn't have to be like you wrote it down and you're like, this is it. This could even just be, you're sort of like, oh, New Year, maybe I would, it would be good if I could do something like this. Is that anybody else? Does that cause any other hands? Yeah, okay, all right, there it is. Yeah, that's, that's a New Year's resolution too. It just, it just means that um, you, like me, uh, are kind of already expecting to fail. Yeah, it's true. And so you don't want to, you don't want to put it in black and white because if you do, then it's going to be really clear to you that you didn't make it. Um, my New Year's resolution, uh, I'd like to drop between 50 and 60 pounds. Uh, get back to, um, being able to, uh, bend over without, um, running out of breath. Uh, just, just, you know, since I'm in my 30s, I still have a chance to do that. So I'd like to, like to hit that. But, uh, but like you, I, um, I have been here before, right? And I've, uh, I've seen that I've tried to do things like this before, and, and sometimes I'll even succeed for a while, but then it seems that uh, I fall back into old patterns. Uh, and for me, the old patterns <laughs> strongly involve french fries. Uh, I, I tell the kids in the, in the youth group, man, there's nothing better than McDonald's fries and they're fresh. And I seriously, I would gobble down a bucket of those things, and I wouldn't even think twice. Uh, that's, that's my kryptonite. Um, and I know it's out there. And as a result, I know that uh, it's hard for me to change. Uh, they say that about 40% of Americans this year will have something that they're in, in, their, in their mind. I'm going to get a little better about this. 40%. Uh, of that 40% of 350 million people, which is, I don't do math, uh, a lot. Of that 40% uh, who are going to have something they're going to improve on this year, only 8% will succeed. 8% of us. So that's pretty bad odds. And what's cool is we don't even have uh, the statistics to find out what would, uh, if, that's just for one year. So for one year, if you say, I'm going to do this and make this change, uh, you have about a year, 8% of people will succeed for one year. We don't even know what happens after that. We don't have uh, the statistics. My guess is, is that 8% starts to go down. 4%, 3%, 2%, no percent. And that's because change is really hard. And that's just the small stuff, right? That's, uh, you know, you're sitting there, you're like, I need to improve myself. I need, uh, you know, I should, I should read more books. I'm going to read 12 books this year, one book a month. That's your New Year's resolution. 8% of you will succeed at that. And that's small stuff. That's tiny stuff in the grand scheme of things. Like, honestly, the, those things don't really matter that much, right? I mean, they do, and they can be big, but they're not the biggest things. And we might even wonder, like, go to the next step. So instead of small changes, what about big changes, in your life. Um, what about the person who is, uh, has deep rage in their heart, right? Someone who is uh, you know, filled with rage. What is the possibility that that person can go from being filled with rage to being a person characterized by peace? Or what about a person who is consumed with uh, material greed and jealousy? A person who spends all of their time thinking about others who have more than they do, um, who is obsessed and convinced that if I just had this much or that much, then I would be okay. And that person who obsesses about it, what's the possibility that that person can become content? 
what's the, per, uh, the possibility of a person um, who is ruled by uh, some, some addiction, some, uh, some external force that just owns life? And it could be anything. I mean, for me, you know, it's French fries. It could be anything. Um, what's, the, what's the chance that a person can go from, from here, enslaved, to free? I suggest to you it's pretty low. Uh, modern psychology will tell you that it's almost impossible uh, because of the way that our neural networks work. Uh, over time, um, our networks get hardened, and so our brain becomes harder and harder to change uh, over time. And so our patterns and behaviors become harder and harder to change. But really, I, I mean, that's psychology, that's cool, it's neuroscience, neat. What about the Bible? What about Scripture? What does Scripture say about change? And not just small change. I mean big change. Like life-altering change. The kind of change where it's like, you're a different person. You're somebody I've never known before. I can't believe that this has happened to you. And we're going to be honest about it. And if, if the answers are, uh, are scary, we're going to be honest about that. But if, they, if there's hope, we're going to be honest about that too. And so I invite you to, uh, we're going to be in various texts today, but I invite you uh, to ask that question in the back of your mind. Can we really change? And, and not just change, uh, but get fundamental change. And, and, and if that's possible, how does it happen? What can we do to bring about transformation in life? So let's jump in. See what the, see what the Bible says. Here's an awesome verse that I know you'll love. As a dog returns to its own vomit... So a fool repeats his folly. Sweet. I like that. It's a particularly um, poignant image. Is that the right word? No, horrifying image. Uh, If you've seen a dog do this, you know it's gross. And there's a reason um, that the proverb uses such crazy imagery. It's because, think about vomiting. Vomiting is what your body does when it knows something bad has happened. Right? You're not vomiting, you know, for... Good fun, all right? Dogs, when they vomit, it's because they ate something like chocolate or whatever, potatoes. Dogs aren't supposed to eat. They vomit it up because it's bad for them. Their stomach recognizes that. And then apparently they go back and they lick it up. <coughs> Having clear, cleaned up quite a bit of vomit in the last several years, uh, I know that that's, uh, that's horrible. And uh, no one should ever do that. And yet, and yet, Scripture says that, uh, that fools out there, this is exactly how they live their lives. This is really easy for us to see in other people, right? Uh, it's easy for us to notice another person who's living their life in such a way that, you know, for example, the angry person goes into a rage, right, over and over. This destroys their life, destroys their relationships, destroys their jobs. The, the rage never seems to quit. And, and you kind of want to just sit there and slap them across the face and be like, dude, if you could just calm down a little bit, things would go a lot better for you. And then, of course, we don't notice uh, the things that we do <laughs> that are destroying our life, that are holding us back. We don't want to think about those, so we kind of skip over those instead spend our, spend our time judging those around us. Um, that word folly there, it's in the, in the Old Testament, uh, there's not a strong distinction between um, habits and things that you do and the kind of person you are. We make distinctions like this. So I, I can say, hey, here's a person who's consumed by rage or is an angry person, right? But that's different than somebody who does angry things, who lashes out. So we can imagine people who are, have anger in their heart but, but control it, right? And so they're not lashing out all the time. Or we can imagine people who, like myself, are loud and yell at people all the time but honestly aren't really that angry, it's just kind of fun. So we can, we can separate behavior and, uh, and attitude or, or attitude and behavior. That's not really how Scripture thinks. When Scripture says folly, 
That's the same thing as being an angry person or doing something uh, as a result of, of rage. Uh, whatever the scriptures think about, they think about people as whole, th- as whole beings, right? Like a soul. And if your soul is infected by a materialism or jealousy or self, uh, self-focus, whatever it is, you, that's going to that's gonna show up in certain behaviors, okay? Modern psychology disagrees with this. Modern psychology thinks that you can control the behaviors without changing the person. I don't know about that. That sounds crazy to me, but that's what psychology says. And so what it's talking about is it's talking about people whose inner uh, being doesn't change. It's just the same, and, and, and the, those, those attitudes and, and, and fundamental par- parts of personality keep expressing themselves in really bad behaviors. And if you read the context in Proverbs, you, you don't see a lot of hope for these people. Proverbs kind of just says there's people like this, and that's just how they are. They're just fools. Uh, another text, this is from the New Testament, um, this is Jesus talking, and he's, he's teaching about, um, about the way that spirits and, and, and demonic forces work. Uh, and I would suggest to you that demonic forces are probably responsible for a lot of uh, addictive types of behaviors and habits. Uh, things that, that uh, parts of our personality that uh, really drag us down. Uh, the enemy likes to work on those. And so this is what Jesus says. says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest. He goes out in the desert looking for a place to rest, finding none, uh, presumably because uh, the, the, what makes the, the unclean spirit have unclean spirit joy is, is ruining people's lives. And if you're not doing that, you're not happy. Finding none, he says, I will return to my house, this person, from which I came. And when he comes, he finds the house swept and cleaned, cleaned up, put in order. Then he goes and he takes seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. They enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Whatever we think about the, um, the, the demonic uh, going on there, we can actually see this in our lives. Like, we can see, think about the times where you're like, you know what, this is going to change. I'm going to make this change. And you do for a while, and you're clean, and things are good, and things are better, and then something happens. And, and according to Jesus, what's actually happening is the enemy, demonic forces are coming to enslave you in power. They come, and, and it's actually worse. The, what, you, what you are like after you have been clean for a while is even dirtier, even more enslaved, even more hurt. And, and again, if you read the context here, there's no good news. Jesus doesn't say, oh, but wait. If we step back from the scriptures, step back, um, I have a couple pictures here. I think, yeah, here's David on the left and Saul and David on the right. If you think about the way that uh, scripture portrays, especially the kings of Israel in the Old Testament, there's lots of kings. And what's so interesting about them is that they don't change the, the, I mean, you look at Saul. If they change, they change for the worse. They don't get better. They don't transform. They're often confronted with opportunities to transform, and they don't. Uh, David, uh, the, his life is like this, and then, and then it just starts to peter down. And you read his story, and you realize that as he gets older and older, he, he just disengages from spiritual life, and, and just he, he doesn't end well. To say nothing of Saul on the right who... Um, he is so consumed with holding on to his power that he harms the entire country, his family, himself ultimately, over it. 
And, and those, are, those are emblematic. I mean, you, Solomon, same, doesn't change. You know, and then that's, those are the good kings. Those are the good ones. And then you get to the bad ones, and you're like, oh, my gosh. And, and, and we're standing back, and we're being like, stop going back to your vomit, you idiot. And in their own minds, in their own world, they just keep doing it. And you get this sense like, man, is there any hope? And not only that, let's step back even farther, even farther. Uh, this is, um, I think, uh, a Franken from the 16th century, 17th century. Uh, it's, it's the children of Israel as they're, uh, they're waiting to pass through the Red Sea, or they've just passed through, I can't remember. But uh, you think about the, the, is, the way that Israel is described throughout the scriptures, these people go back and do the same stuff over and over and over and over. And every single time, the same thing happens. Every single time, their faithlessness ends in disaster. And it's only God's faithfulness that brings them back. And if you're looking for transformative hope, man, you've got to be pretty depressed when you read the Bible. There doesn't seem to be a lot of winning stories. If you're wondering why that is, um, check this uh, next text. Um, it's from Proverbs. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. I don't want to get into a dis- debate about whether or not the, chi- uh, the Bible encourages child abuse. The answer to that is no. <laughs> I don't want to fight about that. But notice, um, notice that, that children are seen as malleable, Right? malleable in a way that other people aren't. If, if, you, if you get someone who's young, really before the age of 30 in, the, in, the mind, in, in, in Scripture, really before the age of 30, you have a chance with that person. That person has, that person's still hasn't settled yet. I have an Old, professor, uh, Old Testament professor friend, and he likes to say this. He'll say, um, if you think the way that the Bible thinks, especially the Old Testament, then by the time you turn 30, you kind of have a sense of who you're going to be the rest of your life. If you, if you, on your 30th birthday, you look inwardly and kind of see the sorts of patterns, the sorts of personality, the sorts of attitudes that you have, they are not really going to change at all. That's kind of like the Old Testament perspective. But that, that's bad news for most of the people here. Uh, Sam, how old are you? 13. That means you've got 17 years. We're going to use the rod of correction on you as a community, to shape you into the kind of person that you ought to be. Because after 17 years, man, you're going to be like, woo, I'm done. That's kind of the, the flavor of, of, of Scripture. And that's the first thing in your note sheets. Uh, that um, the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is pessimistic about the possibility of change. Now we're talking about fundamental change for adults. It's kind of kind of depressing, kind of sad. Um, but we kind of understand why, right? I mean, when we're talking about those things, maybe this doesn't give us a lot of hope, but at least it explains the situation. At least it helps us understand why it is that people, especially uh, after the age of 30, tend to, you know, stultify, tend to ossify, tend not to change. Because there's something about us that settles around that age, and as a result, what was up in the air kind of like falls down. You get into these rhythms of life that, that don't change very much. You settle into grooves, and pretty soon, before you know it, you're Glenn Eichler, and you're an ornery old man. Just, just set, just no, 
But you're also a beautiful papa bear, and I love that. So that's a big win. I do think, though, that uh, the New Testament does have some hope. It's a small hope, but it's a hope. And uh, I would like us to look at a text that I really think captures it. And as we go through it, um, I, I've adopted a, or adapted a, um, a very contemporary translation. I'll explain a few of the things that are, that are weird in it. Um, but I want us to see how uh, Paul thinks about transformation, fundamental, big-time change transformation. This is what he says, Galatians uh, 5.19. The actions that are produced by selfish motives are obvious, since they include sexual immorality, moral corruption, doing whatever feels good. Uh, in New King James or older translations, you hear things like lasciviousness and licentiousness. Uh, really, if you were listening to Paul, and, and you could imagine in Greek, it would sound like this to you, though. You'd be talking about when you're, when you're after yourself, uh, Paul used the word sarks there, flesh. When you're after the flesh, um, that your, your non-God per, uh, part of you, the part of you that, that just exists apart from God, when you go after that, you, al- you always go after stuff like sexual immorality, moral corruption, doing whatever feels good, idolatry, drug use, and casting spells. I love this translation. Older translations will say uh, witchcraft or sorcery. Uh, in the ancient world, um, you didn't just cast spells or engage in sorcery. A lot of times you used um, hallucinogenics. To, or some kind of uh, alcohol or something like that to, to create an altered consciousness and in and through that to access the spiritual. And so that's a, it's a very, um, it, it fits in that term. Hate, fighting, obsession, losing your temper, competitive opposition, conflict, selfishness, group rivalry, jealousy, drinking too much, out of control partying. Uh, in the ancient world, um, drinking was very common uh, amongst Jewish people. It was not out, out of the ordinary. What, the, what Paul is really specifically moving against is the kind of consumption that leads you to become a different kind of person. Where you stop being you and you start being somebody else. You lose control of your, your actions, lose control of your ability to speak coherently. That's where he's like, no, no, not that. And where I have out of control partying, that's kind of like a, in the ancient world there are these cults and they would do things called... They would, uh, participate in bacchanalias, um, also orgies would be another way to talk about it. But it would be where um, you're partying so hard with so much that you end up doing things um, that are completely uh, sick and and um, and wrong. You 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 give up all control of your of yourself and you and you give yourself over uh, to to pleasure and other things like that. I warn you, as I have already warned you, that those who practice do it over and over and over again, these kinds of things won't have ownership in the kingdom. Ownership in God's kingdom. Now, uh, look, I get it. You're going to be jealous. I get it. You're going to make mistakes. But the kinds of people who practice these things over and over and over, what happens to them? They don't go to heaven. They don't have ownership in God's kingdom. The most literal English translation there is uh, inherit. Won't have an inheritance in God's kingdom. Like God's the father and we're the children. And if you do, if you do right in his eyes and he's going to bless you with, all, with, with the, the fullness and the, and the, of his property so that you, you take ownership over it, so that you become its master, so that you're in it, to the, you have all of it, it's yours. A lot of us think that the goal of life is to be good enough to get in. No. If you want to get in, you have nothing to do with that. 
All you can do is believe. All you can do is trust Jesus. And you'll get in. Done deal. It's over. Don't worry about it. You're safe. Fire insurance. But that doesn't mean that heaven's going to be that great. There are going to be a lot of people who make it in because they believed, and they're going to get there. And there's going to be all these mansions, and they're like, oh, where's my key? You're like, oh, yeah, about that. You're not the kind of person who really fits right here. You're in, you're part of this, but this, this isn't really, you're, you're the kind of person who does stuff like this. This place is 100% in keeping with God's character, God's economy, the way that God does things, and that's not the kind of life that you lived. That you're here and it's, it's weird for you and, and, and we're going to bring you along. But, but this really isn't the place that you own. This isn't a place that you have taken, that you get to take ownership over. It's really not your inheritance. There are those who actually transformed in human life. They actually became different. And they're the ones for whom this experience is really reserved for. If that's a weird teaching for you, good news. After our next series, the series following is going to be on uh, rewards in eternity and what heaven's going to be like. So t- stay tuned. We'll, uh, we'll dig into the texts there. But what this means, though, is that if you want to start changing, if you want rules for change, the first one, the first rule for change, it, it, your motivation has to be ownership in heaven. If you want fundamental, deep down, gut transformation in who you are, the only thing that makes it worth it is recognizing that this is the life you are going to live in eternity for all time. This is who God has designed you to be. This is who God made you to be. And, and, and if you follow him, if you go after it, this is who you can be and will be forever. You've got to have your sights set on the kingdom of God and not on this life. If you want fundamental change. Small change and fundamental change. Let's uh, carry on with the text. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against things like this. The followers of Christ Jesus have crucified the self, the flesh, the, the, the me without God. They've crucified it with its passions and its desires. Uh, literally, um, uh, uh, the most literal English there, well, there would be no followers. I added that. It would be the, um, the ones of Christ Jesus, the, the Christ Jesus ones, something like that. The idea being that you're owned by Christ, that, 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 that you are of him completely. You're sourced in him, and really you go after him. You are like him. And I think the best way to communicate that in English is following him. You're a follower of Christ Jesus. And you'll notice then that it, uh, it comes right down the, uh, the next line there. If we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit. Notice this is not about like, hey, here's X, Y, and Z, these things that you have to do and these things that you don't do and you need to eat this and not eat that. But it's not a bunch of rules and laws. It's something... There's a spirit to it. There's a, there's a conformity to it. Jesus lived a certain way on this earth. He lived in this particular way. You can't do that because you live in the 21st century and you don't live in Palestine. So that way of living is going to be a little bit different. But the spirit of that way of living will be the same. It's going to look different on the outside, but the core of it is going to be the same self-giving, crucified spirit of Christ. Let's not become arrogant, make each other angry, or be jealous of each other. If you really want fundamental change, well, the, the next 
part of, of that is, is it really has to come from following the Spirit of Christ. Next thing, your note sheets. The key to changing is following the Spirit of Christ. Now, that's, uh, okay, following the Spirit of Christ. I want you to hold on to that because you might want to know, well, can you give me a, a play here? One, two, three. What, what does following the Spirit of Christ look like? Hold on to that because we will talk about that. But not today. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Just keep coming back, and that, we'll fill that in. And I'll tell you a little bit about that in, in a minute. But let's, uh, let's finish out the text. Um, this is important. Brothers and sisters, if a person is caught doing something wrong, you who are spiritual, that is you who are following the Spirit, you, who are, you are the ones who are practicing and living like this, should restore someone like this with a spirit of gentleness. And watch out for yourselves so you don't be tempted to. Carry each other's burdens, and so you will fulfill the law of Christ. Do you notice uh, how much Paul's language uh, talks about, like, doing specific things over and over? Like, being practices of, of Christ and spirit, a spirit of Christ following. Do you notice how the, um, the language also deeply implies a community of people around you, the church? That if, that if transformation is to happen, it really has to be in these concrete actions. And it has to be in the community of, of accountability, the church. It's the next thing in your note sheets. Um, that it has to be, change requires concrete practices in a community of accountability. You know, it's not just, you know... Lone Star over here doing his thing. It's, it's when you see someone wayward, and we're all in the same path, we're all trying to be like Christ, and when someone starts to veer off, then you pull them back gently and say, hey, 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 let's not go over there. Let's not go over there. That's, that's too far out. And, and then in order for that to happen, there has to be lots of people involved. Well, okay, but let's say you want to lose 60 pounds. I do. Interesting. Interesting fact. Uh, what we've kind of outlined here is uh, sort of God's plan for transformation. All right? And we're going to explore that over the next uh, couple months, and we'll talk more about that in a second. What's interesting is that the world, when you, when you actually find out what the world says about small change, you know, I want to read 12 books this year, even though I'm not a reader, or I want to do this or change that. If you, if you look at what the, the world says, it's the same, same process. It's just secular, secularized. It's just taken out of the church. But it's the same thing. Now, before, back in the day when psychology first started, they were like, well, we have to investigate the human soul, and then we'll figure it all out. Turns out, all that Freudian stuff was nonsense. And, uh, it, and actually, actually, now modern psychology has finally moved to the place where they're like, you know, that stuff that Paul said was pretty good. <laughs> um, and I want to give you an example of that. Uh, we have, what's, what's her name, Anna? Anna Noel Jones? Newell Jones? Do you know Anna? Anna? 2010, she became internet famous. So, uh, in well, 2009, she um, Christmas, she after Christmas, she took stock of her finances, and it turns out that she by herself had driven her and her husband into twenty five thousand dollars of debt, and they're photographers, so they have no money, and uh, that was a joke. <laughs> Photography, it's beautiful, we all love it, but there's no money in it. Come on. Uh, <laughs> so what she does is she's like, I, I got to make a change. And so she goes on Facebook, <laughs> and she writes in a public post, I am admitting that I have put my husband and I into $25,000 of debt. 
from this day forward, I will not, and then she says things like, uh, you know, go on a vacation, shop uh, for clothes, da, 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 all, the, all the things that she was using to get into debt. I will not do any of those things until my debt is paid. In 15 months, she was done. Why? Well, first, she made it public. Hey, everybody, this is, this is who I am. Now, seriously, if I asked you, right, you know, those of you who have, like, something you want to work on this year, would anyone really want to tell anybody about that? Would you really want to share with me, you know, what you're, what you're really working on to, to get inside there? And, or would you kind of like to keep that sort of close to home? Well, she understood that um, in order for this to work, she was going to have to make it public. She was going to have to have accountability. She was going to need to be in a community. Now, as far as I can tell, the, uh, the Joneses are not Christians, and so their community is people that they never see in real life on digital social media. That's great. Good for them. But it works. When you want small change, you really, yeah, even small change, if you really want it, like, accountability. And notice, notice that she didn't just say, I'm going to get out of debt. She said, I am going to do X, Y, and Z, concrete things. I will not do this, I will not do this, and I will not do that, and until I have achieved this goal, right? Very straightforward, very concrete, just do it, and then have people around her being like, yo, you probably shouldn't do that. So, small changes for 2018. Tom, get back into those 32s. A couple of years ago, my, bro- my brother-in-law, when I was, I was, I was doing great, my brother-in-law got me a pair of uh, shorts, um, clearly made for a girl, but, you know, you could, I could probably get into them if I, you know, and I, I put them on once, and man, that felt good, and I think they were like, it was like, he got them, there was some famous person, some famous golfer shorts, worn by some famous golfer, or something like that, they're beautiful, they're like hanging up in our room, they're framed, and I'm looking forward to the day. And I can get back into those suckers. So, if I'm after that, right? First, I gotta let you all know. Second, I gotta have some concrete practices. No fries. No potatoes. No Ben and Jerry's. No Cold Stone. <laughs> it's, it's dark. I'm in a dark place. But here's the thing. Here's what's going to happen, though. So I'm going to be, like, hanging out with you. You know, we're having lunch or whatever. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'd like to double a bacon cheeseburger and large fries. And you, you are going to be like, gently, be like, hey, Tom. Hey, fat Tom, don't. Don't do that. <laughs> gently, you know, keep, my, keep my, uh, my feelings in check. When you, and that's how I'm going to get this small change done. This is small change. And, you know, you want to read your 12 books, same thing. You know, you want to do whatever. Um, and then these can be serious, small changes too. Like, you know, if you're addicted to internet pornography, whatever. Like, this will work in any of the things that, that you're uh, dealing with. But these ultimately are small changes. These ultimately are not the kinds of changes, for the most part, that will lead to you having ownership in heaven. These are not the kinds of changes that really God wants to see you totally transform so that people are like, I can't even believe you're still the same person. But there's good news. God has a plan for those things too. 
He has a plan that involves uh, following his son, Jesus Christ. He has a plan that involves uh, concrete practices. He has a plan that involves uh, actual, genuine shift and change in a community of accountability. And I would like to invite you uh, to join starting next week. Heaven Preparatory Academy. Yes! That's, that, that Photoshop's so bomb. Apparently, that's uh, Angus from ACDC with my head plopped on top, which is kind of sacrilegious. So if you see Jeannie, be like, mm, don't know about that. <laughs> but it's cool, though. Uh, if you've ever been to a, um, a preparatory academy, I've never been to one, but uh, I had friends in college who went to them. And they're very interesting. They, uh, what what the, the goal of a preparatory academy is to get you ready uh, to to fit in in college, okay? So you're in high school or even lower, and they're going to try and form you and shape you into the kind of person who's destined for a collegiate education and a life of professionalism in whatever, okay? And so in order to do that, apparently, look at that building, by the way. It's like glowing. Isn't that cool? She's getting that Photoshop down for real. Good job, Jeannie. Uh, you 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 got to you got to be ready to to end to, to to be the kind of person where you where, uh, that fits where you end up right and so what's going to happen over the next uh, couple of months is we're going to be going through Jesus concrete teaching on this so that we can begin to do this as a community and actually become the kinds of people who are prepared to own heaven own it to have ownership and authority and power in heaven. And what's doubly cool about this is that the way that Jesus has, has set it up is that as we're doing it together, we are going to be the kinds of people who are flourishing now in this life. When I say flourishing, flourishing doesn't mean get rich. If you want to get rich quick, buy some cryptocurrency. That stuff's taken off. Right? I mean, you probably already missed it. My mom says it's a bubble. I don't know. All I'm saying is that that's, that's, the, that's one thing. We're talking about something else, fundamental change. The kind of person who, who flourishes in this life, who is a person of peace, a person of satisfaction, a person of contentment, a person who really does emulate Jesus, who looks, who follows Jesus, but in, in a new way. This is called having divine life. We talked about this in First John um, this year. We spent a lot of time talking about it. Now we get the practical, like, this is what you got to do, A, B, and C. And if you do it, you will end up like this. You will change. And you will become the kind of person who owns heaven. And apparently wears a suit jacket with shorts. So I want to invite you. This, um, by the way, this, is, this, this uh, series is going to be, it's for Christians. Uh, because in order for this to work, you really do have to believe in Jesus. You have to have the spirit and, and divine life inside of you for it to work. But I would very much encourage you to bring others, especially those who are looking, being like, this life is terrible. What's wrong with me? Bring them. I would love to have those people come and, and see, like, like, right here, this is exactly what you need to do. Start with faith and then these basic steps and you will become like Jesus. And you will have joy like Jesus. So for Christians, but by all means, uh, bring all in sundry because it's going to be really cool. Eight percent. Eight percent. Make it for one year with small changes.
at Coast in 2018, we're looking for 100% of transformation into people who are like Jesus. And the only way we're going to do it is in Scripture, with concrete practices, and together. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, I pray that we will be people ready to take ownership in heaven. People who are just like your son, who have been transformed, conformed to his image. Radical with fruits of the Spirit. That we will be uh, something the world doesn't understand and yet craves. God, I pray for those who are engaging in small changes this year. I pray, God, that they will have uh, the concrete actions and, and accountability to, to achieve that goal. More so, God, I pray for all of us that we will follow your Son, that we will become like him in a deep, deep way. Thank you, Father. Uh, thank you for the gift of your Son uh, and the pouring out of his Spirit. In his name we pray, amen.